Hey everybody, welcome back to the next cast. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Tyler. Alright, so if you're watching the video version of this after we're done recording, you'll notice that something's a little bit different. There is no Tyler on screen. Uh, he's on OpenBSD and uh, Discord in a browser is garbage. And actually more garbage than it is outside of the browser, which is amazing considering that it's electron right <laughs> just putting that out there yeah. it's horrible uh so you if you're watching the video version you're just gonna get my lovely face you won't get to see tyler at all today we are uh, exploring options for next week we should have some kind of solution for next week uh, so that we can get back to normal but anyways tyler oh, i should say actually before we start we should say that this is the linux cast we Talk about Linuxy things in case the title didn't give it away. I'm just gonna, you know, say that. So Tyler, what did you do this week in Linux and open source? You should broaden it a little bit, seeing as how you're not a Linux user anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've been happily using uh, OpenBSD and ricing the crap out of my desktop and just trying to get everything sorted. Uh, I've because I have the 6600 XT, which is supported by OpenBSD, uh, just on the current branch, which is a, essentially like the testing branch of uh, OpenBSD, I've had I'm getting used to the quirks of using um, the current branch, the <clears throat> well uh, differences in uh, using OpenBSD and Linux, getting the most performance I can out of it, and that's mainly what I've been up to, and we're also going to do a Rust learning live stream later on. Probably be watching some YouTube videos, and I've been told that I also need to use uh, the Rust official book as like somewhere to start off at. Like definitely, I've had like four people. Tell do you me have that. like a, a reason you're learning Rust? Like uh, something that you need to do in order to that has caused you to learn Rust? Or is it just for fun? No, other than it, it's for fun, and I've wanted to learn Rust for a while. Makes sense. I thought maybe you were you had to port something over, and that's the reason why you decided to. This OpenBSD supports Rust, right? Yep. I, I'm, I'm and Rust programs are awesome. Well, I mean, obviously they're awesome. Everything's written in Rust, right? <laughs> <laughs> the way exactly. it is. All right. So for me, this week spelled the end of my Gen 2 experiment. So Ben and I spent another hour, probably like Monday-ish, trying to solve screen tearing in uh, in on Gen 2. And it didn't really matter what desktop environment I was using. It, I was still getting screen tearing. And it turned out for a while there I got it solved because we – installed the x11 package because we just installed the x server when we installed so i got that x11 package mm -hmm. and then i was able to turn on tear free and use vsync with pycom and it fixed it for about five minutes and then it came back and i have no clue what usually you, there's, there's so there's two tricks when you have screen tearing on linux there's the using vsync with pycom usually that takes about 80 percent of the screen tearing away and then there's the tear free option which you, you can either use with xrander or you can use in a file in the the in etsy slash x11 whatever 
And uh, I did both of those tricks. Normally, I mean, they never fail. Like, those are the tricks that you have to do, and they work. Uh, this time, they did not work. <laughs> like, it worked for about five minutes after we installed that Alexa 11 package, and it just, after that, it kept tearing. And I can't stand screen tearing. Like, I just can't stand it. Um, it absolutely drives me nuts. It just takes me out of whatever I'm doing and causes me to rage in my head for about five minutes. And then I have to go back and it, then it tears again. And it's a, a cycle that I just can't seem to get out of. So that's the end of Gen 2, unfortunately. I, I've talked to several people now who have, you know, solutions. And I tried a couple of them. They just didn't work. Uh, they even, one person even said, hey, use Chrome. <laughs> Like, I don't really want to go use Chrome, but no. Um, ben and I even uninstalled the binary of Firefox, and then I compiled Firefox from source, hoping that that would work. That did not work either. So we've pretty much tried everything that can be tried in there, and it's just not working. So, uh, yeah, Gen 2 is uh, going to be officially off my system sometime this week. Uh, Slackware is going to be my next... Uh, long-term review if I can get that installed, so that'll be fun. Uh, and the other thing that I did this week is I created an rsync script, something that I've been wanting to do for ages. Usually I just use the same rsync line over and over again. It's just, you know, dash av and then the two directories, right? But there's a flag for rsync called dash dash exclude, and it's life-changing because for, for the last two or three years since I've been using rsync to do my backups... I just back up everything in the home directory. And that means that every time I do a new backup folder, I have a, another copy of my music, another copy of my ISOs folder, another copy of my Steam games folder. So, I mean, there, I have like gigabytes upon gigabytes of extra copies of all that stuff. And now that I've decided to do this script, I've done, done the dash dash exclude. And that means I don't back up the music. I don't back up the, 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 ga the games folder or the ISOs folder. So it saves, I mean backups are like really quick now which makes me happy so that was fun this actually was a really, really simple script so um oh yeah that was another thing that people told me to do is just use wayland uh and uh that's one thing i didn't try maybe i should have maybe i will before i wipe it out but i don't know whether or not i'd be able to do wayland and still do videos because i've had so much problems with screen no. capturing on wayland so plus you know it'd have to it, it would mean i'd have to install pipewire so, uh, and we all, we all know how Pipewire treats me. <laughs> Just putting that out there. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways. Yeah, that'd be worth your time. Yeah, especially since I'm probably... Sar stick sarcastically. With, yeah, probably, <laughs> I'm not going to stick with Gen 2 anyways. I don't think... I've put so much time into it so far and wasted a lot of Ben's time. So, anyways. It was, a, it was an interesting experiment. I'm glad I did it. Um, I doubt that I would ever do it again. So, there you go. Uh, you never know, though. Who knows? Maybe I'll put up another goal. <laughs> 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 All right. So, that is, that is it for that section. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the contact information. You can contact us via email at... Uh, email at the linuxcast.org. You can subscribe to all of our stuff and find the blog posts and all that stuff to, at... at 
at thelinuxcast.org. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash linuxcast. You can subscribe to Zany on YouTube at youtube.com slash zanyog. Uh, all those links and stuff will be at thelinuxcast.org slash contact. And you can subscribe to the Linuxcast at youtube.com slash linuxcast. Uh, we did go over 10,000 subscribers a few days ago. So that was pretty good. Uh, I'm still blown away by that. But... Uh, it's also nuts. It seems once you hit 10,000, your your subscribers just keep going. I thought we'd just stop. <laughs> it was a little weird. Uh, <laughs> I didn't expect it to still keep going, um, which is I'm obviously stupid, but it was one of those things. Anyways, so uh, thanks everybody who has subscribed. If you haven't already, uh, youtubecom linuxcast. If you just want the audio version, oh, I should I should actually say this. So, a few weeks ago, I did a video called State of the Linux Cast, where I was talking about I didn't really know what to do with a podcast. And for ages and ages, what I would do is we'd stream on Thursdays, I'd put it private towards the end of the day, I would then edit the video, the YouTube channel would get the video on Fridays, the Patreons would get it a day early, and it was a conglomerated mess. It was just not great like it wasn't a process it took a lot of time and it definitely wasn't really something that i thought was worth it simply because it i i didn't really know what people were getting out of it so what i've decided to do and you'll have noticed this because i've already done it for a week is that the stream that we do on thursdays will stay up it'll stay live that'll be the version of the podcast that youtube gets Towards the end of the evening, I will put timestamps in, so if people want to skip around to the certain points of the podcast, that they can do that. I usually do that around 7 o'clock Eastern Time. It takes me a little while to get back to my desk and actually do that. So uh, if you want to watch the podcast on YouTube, that's what you'll end up doing. You'll watch the live stream, uh, the recorded version of the live stream, and you'll have timestamps and stuff in order to move around. Patrons will get the audio version a day early. If you want to just subscribe to the audio version, that stuff is available at linuxcast.org and stuff. So, um, yeah, that is, uh, that, that's what's happening with the podcast. I doubt that I'll change it from now on. It worked really well last week. Hopefully it'll work well this week as well. So, uh, moving on to the news. Tyler, what is your news this week? My news is about Shotcut. Um, for those who are like new to the FOSS space, there are pretty much two good FOSS video editors. There's Cade Live and Shotcut. And in my personal opinion, Shotcut has been the lesser of the two for quite a while. And it's recently gotten a lot better and much, much more competitive uh, with with Caden Live, and this last update is kind of just a example of how good it's getting. Um, not only are they using a newer version of FFmpeg, there's a... If you go through the article, there's quite a few different things about it that they've improved, in, including <clears throat> uh, its improved audio and video synchronization. Um, and there's, there's a lot of just, like, quality of life improvements and sensible features that have been added and if you want to go more they they do have obviously like the big change log that you can go see and it's overall a pretty exciting release and i'm just i'm glad to see that both 
of the video editors in the FOSS space are getting just not a little better, a lot better, which is really good. I don't think that you could question Yeah, I, I think I used Shotcut exactly one time. I didn't really care for it, but maybe it's time for, to try that again because Caden Live does this weird thing where when I try to cut something, it says I'm dragging the timeline, which I'm actually not. So and it, and it dings at me, which you know bothers me. Uh, but I always just go back to it because it's the most full-featured thing. Um, everyone says that good things about that um, that olive, but that thing's like perpetually in mm-hmm. alpha. Like it's perpetually in alpha, right? It's it's never yep. moved beyond alpha software, and like apparently you can tell. Like it's like one, and I mean I'm not like poo-pooing that yeah. because like the, the it's like one dude right, <laughs> like I can understand why it hasn't yeah, moved yeah. past alpha, but if you're you're relying on something you can't have it crash all the time, so yeah yeah and no matter what because it's pretty much Caden Live's code base like uh, essentially it's it, it shares a lot of the same code base as Caden Live it suffers from pretty much all of the things that Caden Live suffers from. And Caden Live has uh, obviously much larger development, like you know, time and power yeah. going behind it. So one of the th- why wouldn't you choose Caden Live? I mean, they all have to use that. One, I don't know what the toolkit is called, but the, there's like that one toolkit that enables video editing on Linux that pretty much all the editors pretty much have to use. Um, I don't remember what no. it's called though. All right, so my news of the week. Neither do I. Yeah, I don't know. I could just be making it up. Who the hell knows? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the my news of the week is that Ubuntu Pro settings have been pulled from Ubuntu 20.04. So I just really wanted to talk about this. Is that uh, when this first came out, like a, a few weeks or probably a couple months ago now, there was there's in the software and updates setting there was an uh, an Ubuntu Pro like tab or whatever in desktop Ubuntu, and people kind of freaked out about it. Like, oh, are, is Ubuntu is Canonical is going to start charging for Ubuntu. And, I mean, it was kind of, as, as usual with the Linux community, it was blown out of proportion. But, apparently, it was a big enough of a scandal that uh, Canonical has not pulled that out. Uh, but, it, as far as I know, it was not actually ever going to be for consumers. It was a kind of like a subscription service for businesses for support. But, people it freaked people out because it was in the consumer version or whatever if there's such thing as a consumer version of Ubuntu. Um, it, I just find it interesting that uh, it, any mention of charging for a distro just freaks people the fuck out. <laughs> like, seriously, if they even, like, hint at saying, you want to, we're going to charge for support or something, people just, I mean, throw their arms up and like, oh my God, what's happening? The world is ending. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is very weird. Like, what's the problem with them offering a pro version? Like, even if it's a monthly subscription pro version, like you just get, I don't know, like three dumbass extra features. What's the problem? Like, you're not going to pay for it. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, as long I mean, as you're not being forced to pay for it, right? Like, like if the free version of Ubuntu gone, you know, went away, then maybe there would be something to be upset about, but... That was never going to be this. This was just going to be like something that was buried in the settings panel that perhaps you could subscribe to if it was even meant for you, which it probably wasn't, uh, for extra support or something. Like if, if something went wrong, um, 
Well, I mean, like, I guess some people look at Canonical and think that they're much, like, they just don't give them any credit. Like, look, I don't, I don't hold Canonical in very high regard, but I also don't think that they're so dumb that they're going to take basic Linux features and put a paywall in front of them. Like, they're not that dumb. Like, Like, whatever that whatever they offer, however, you know, nifty it is, it's still not something that's going to be basic to using Linux. Okay. So canonical knows this one true fact is that proportionally, not a soul uses Ubuntu desktop. Like hardly, I mean, compared to the people who use it on server, the, the desktop market is so utterly puny. It wouldn't even pay to offer this service. Like, to employ the people who would have to support it full time to help the four people who would ever use it doesn't make sense. That's the reason why it was when I saw this, I didn't even include it in like a news item or something because I was like, there's no way in hell that they would ever do this for the consumer market. This is for people in the enterprise market that use Ubuntu terminals or maybe IOT stuff or servers or whatever. They just happen to also use the, mm-hmm. the, the desktop. That's what that was for. No. There's just no way that they'd ever do it for the, the minuscule amount of people who actually use Ubuntu. In compare, I mean, there are probably millions of people who use Ubuntu or whatever, but the vast majority of them, you, know, you or I should say, in comparison to the number of people who use the server compared to the number of people who use Windows, uh, it's just so small it wouldn't even be worthwhile. Well, and also, I guarantee you, like, it would be a massive shock to find out that Canonical didn't have one community manager on payroll. And if you think that that community manager hasn't made it abundantly clear that trying to sell stuff to their target desktop audience is not necessarily not smart, but not going to work is insane. Everybody knows the Ubuntu community. If the Ubuntu community consists of people who are not accepting of them monetizing the desktop in any way. So why would you try to add, uh, like they've tried monetizing before. It has always bit them in the ass when they try and monetize the desktop. People people freaked the fuck out when they had the Amazon, um, icon in the dock mm-hmm. like when when they put that which is basically it was all it was was a link to the amazon website that correlated with their their affiliate link right that's all that all that ever yeah. was nobody ever had to use it they didn't force you to keep it like it, if that had been microsoft you wouldn't have been able to delete the icon <laughs> and, and it would have launched at boot. Oh, when they included <laughs> yeah like when they included the amazon like searches like search results in the desktop, like search, like when you would search for applications and files and stuff, it would also bring up Amazon search results. I remember people claiming that that was outright spyware because everything that you typed on the desktop would be sent to Amazon servers. And it's like, look, I mean, I'm not going to say that that's what I would want as a desktop, but and I don't want my desktop to just give me Amazon search results. Like, let me make that clear. But also at the same time, like, it's not... Do you really think that, like, Amazon would care to know, like, 
Amazon doesn't sell messed up stuff. So if you have like, if you're searching for messed up stuff on your computer, there's really, it's really hard to like monetize a weird like file name. It, it's just, it's hard to sell you stuff based off of obscure file names. I don't, I don't understand the spyware behind it, but that, I mean, that's a clear example of their community. Not every, every way that Amazon or Amazon canonical goes about monetizing their desktop fails. So I don't, I don't assume like, I don't get the fear of, okay, they're about to monetize everything or give us a pro version and make us pay for like, no, it's there. They pay people to understand what the people in the community want. At least I hope to God they do. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like every decision Canonical makes stirs up an uproar of some kind. It does, I mean, they, 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 tomorrow they could announce that their new colors are yellow and pink, and people would freak the fuck out. I mean, <laughs> it would just be one of those things. If they that, announced that they cured cancer, it would be terrible. The community would go insane. Yeah. Like, cure, like the cure for cancer would be definitely, like, there would be a wrapped up in a conspiracy it would just the, the community doesn't accept anything that canonical does or even if they do accept it it's at first with a whole bunch of like you know a really intense magnifying glass on it they have to inspect it very heavily before the community is okay with anything yeah um or, or get it out there rip off the band-aid and hope that the news cycle uh, moves on to something different really fast um, they've done that a couple times too. Look, yeah. Look when they announced that they were going to get rid of 32-bit library support in Ubuntu, like not not even get rid of it, just not include it by default. Like you mm-hmm. could still download it. People freaked out because well, Steam still uses 32-bit, so <coughs> all of a sudden Canonical became nope. anti-gaming. You know. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah personally i don't think ubuntu gives a crap about gaming i mean they make all of their money in the server so they make n- no money from gamers no. so i mean th- there's a reason why valve didn't choose ubuntu for the steam deck <laughs> like because they don't oh, yeah. they don't care oh, yeah. about gaming. not that i'm saying like the arch people care about gaming but uh are they chose arch just because you know they can do whatever the hell they want with it. They don't have to worry about some corporate overlord saying, hey, we want some attention or something, you know? Well, I mean, it's it's the nostalgia that keeps people believing that Ubuntu cares about the Linux desktop. Like, that's how Ubuntu and Canonical started, was mm-hmm. making Linux desktop relevant, a thing, something that you could actually use. But as they become corporate, their business, everything that they do revolves around the server. And so there's no interest in them to make the desktop user experience better, improve it. So we're left with the community projects like Arch or others that are based off of Ubuntu or, you know, something else. Those end up being the ones that are doing the, the gaming stuff that really innovating on the desktop side because, genuinely there's not a corporate interest on the server side where you that's where you dedicate all your resources the community wants what the community wants what i'm surprised at is that canonical hasn't done what uh red hat did what red hat did was they split their desktop team off and created fedora 
Yeah, and all Fedora cares about is the desktop. That's what they do. They create a desktop version of Linux that is based on Red Hat, right? And it, t- it tests Red Hat yeah. stuff and stuff like that. I'm surprised that Ubuntu hasn't done something similar to that. Now, I'm not saying that they'd say co- come out with something totally new, but it, it always feels like the desktop team at Canonical is the team that gets the worst offices and you know they have no their their carpet is yeah. threadbare and you know they get no attention like like they get notified of meetings but the time is always wrong so they show up like you know half an hour late you know <laughs> because the, they're yep. using like an old version of caldalve or something <laughs> yeah you know it, it just <laughs> it, it just feels like they're not supported i mean it's probably not true but it, it feels that way sometimes all right Go, let's yeah. go ahead. I mean, quite and, often. Yeah, like like a lot. Like you kind of feel bad for them sometimes. Like they they've gone like you can't get more Linuxy people than the last two guys who have led that team. Like the um, I can't re- his first name is Will. I don't remember what his last name is, but he was the the desktop lead before Martin Wimp- Wimpress was, and then Mar- Martin Wimpress was there, and they were there. They both worked at Canago for a long time. And uh, they went. They've moved through desktop leads now really fast over the last like three or four years. Now some of that is that they were probably offered better jobs, but um, it makes you wonder. No. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the main topic. Now this is a little bit of a weird main topic because it can be taken two ways. So the the question that I I have posed here is does Linux need app parity? So we could take this to the point of does Linux need uh, the same apps as Windows has. We could talk about that. Or, or even and or, we could talk about instead open source software needing feature parity. So things like, does does GIMP need to have the same functionality? Does it need to work, maybe not the same, but have the same features as Photoshop? Things like that. So uh, let's start off with the first way. In order to be successful, Tyler, do you think that Linux needs absolute app, uh, app parity between uh, Linux and Windows? Uh, to answer that question, I kind of have to ask another. By app parity, do you mean Linux needs the exact same apps well, on all platforms? That's, that's what I was... You could take it either way. It could be... like. Adobe needs to be on both platforms, you know, Microsoft Office needs to be on both platforms, things like that. Or we could take it as uh, the open source alternatives need to be uh, feature parity, like they have to have the same uh, features. It doesn't answer whichever one Um, you like. To be considered a financial or a commercial success, yes. Uh, it does, because that's when, that's when in the, I would say, computer computer space, the tech space, you end up being a success. It, like Mac wasn't really a success until it had the big software from Microsoft, and then it started to take off. And in you know Mac's own own specific areas it shined compared to windows and it could actually compete but uh commercially i would say yes 
if you want to consider Linux a, a, a success commercially, yes, it needs Adobe software. It needs all of it. Zoom, all, all of it has to work. Yeah, I think I'm there with you, sort of. I think I'm more lean on, like I don't, th- I don't think that in order to be a quote-unquote success, that Linux needs Adobe software. Like I don't think that that's an absolute must-have. What is a must-have if we can't have that, which we're never going to get it, is we need to have open-source software that is equal to or better than what Adobe offers. So GIMP needs to get to the point where if someone is, is switching to Linux and has to switch then to GIMP, they can then do all the stuff that they could do in GIMP that they could do in Photoshop. And at the point at we're at right now, you can't, that you can't say that. Like you can't tell me, no matter how good GIMP has gotten over the years, that it's as good as Photoshop right now in terms of feature parity. You know, same thing with like Caden Live. We were talking about Caden Live earlier. Caden Live is a fantastic video editor. Uh, it has its problems, obviously, but it's definitely very good. But if you compare that to something like Premiere or uh, whatever the one that Apple has, I always forget what that's called. Um, Logic Pro, maybe I don't know what uh, it's Final called. Final Cut. Final Cut. That's it. Final Cut. Um, but uh, yeah. if you compare Caden Live to those, they're not. There's it's not really a comparison there because those are obviously better. Um, now yeah. I think I think of all of the open soft open source software that we would compare in this way, Caden Live probably comes the closest to being feature uh, by feature complete compared to those other like mainstream offerings. But we don't have the same thing for, you know, like GIMP or, uh, you know, like, for example, Audition. Like, Adobe Audition is a fantastic editor for audio, and it's what I used to use. Uh, And then when I came to Linux, I had to switch to Audacity, and if you look at Audacity compared to uh, um, Audition, they're they're not, not even close to being as good in terms of... UI in terms of features and stuff like that. Now it doesn't mean Audacity is bad. It just means that if you look at the, if you look at them, you can tell that there's some clunkiness in Audacity that there's it's not really there in Audition. And it's the same thing with like if you look at something like uh, Illustrator or something like that and stuff like that. It, it, we don't really have a piece of software that does a good job for like. Um, Oh, why, why can I never remember the name of Adobe's products for whatever reason? The one that does graphics animations, the um, After Effects, that's what it's called. Like we don't have a really good one that does After yeah. Effects. Now you can use you can use Blender, and Blender is really good, but it's also complicated as fuck and not really meant for that. It's meant for 3D model. It feels like it's meant for 3D yeah. modeling, but it, 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 Blender does it so is. much stuff. You know, it's just hard to do it, and mm-hmm. that's one of the places where they've taken the feature by feature thing and kind of like crammed it all into like one application, which really has always bothered me. But um, it, that's that's where I come down on this whole thing is that I don't think we need those applications to be successful, but we do need applications that can compete with them, and that's has been by far the longest and hardest salute problem we've had to solve on Linux for the last 30 years. Well, but I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, you have you have to define your like, what is your definition of success? Like, 
Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's sig- that's obviously something that would have to, we'd have to talk about, right? But the, I mean, I have another topic in the folder. Like, do we even want Linux to be mainstream? But the the, the real question I would answer would ask back then is, is um, well, I mean, all right. So I, I'll just go ahead and answer it then. I don't. What is success for Linux? I don't know. Um, some people are going to tell you that. Yeah, they and want... see, like that's the thing. Like... No, go ahead. I was like, uh, some people will tell you that it's market share, like they, that they'd want to to have reasonable market share compared to Windows, and I think that's just silly. I don't think that you. I mean, first of all, I don't know that we would want that many people using Linux because then it becomes more of a target. But also. It's unrealistic because it's just never going to happen. But more, I think, uh, I think for me, success becomes when other like corporate entities are interested in developing for Linux. So when uh, someone other than Steam or Valve has decided that gaming is important on Linux. So like, let's just say Epic decided they wanted to bring their stuff back to to, to Linux officially. Uh, other game developers, uh, maybe uh, like Microsoft. Well, or but see, by that definition, or by what you're saying, Linux to be successful must become mainstream because the only way for corporate entities to ever take an interest in developing for Linux, they it must have the user base to support that. So. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, like essentially your your definition of success is well commercial success. It has to be commercially viable, and when that's when that is your definition of success, the only way is to for Linux to be successful is for it to become mainstream. And if the idea of it going mainstream is something that you don't like then we kind of have to change our definition of success because uh, at that point, Linux is already successful. I mean, if, if it, if you can't make the definition of success be commercially viable or it, that doesn't appeal to you, that's not actually the type of success that you want for Linux. Then I think the only other version of success would be that it's usable and it continues to be usable. And that's exactly what Linux is doing. It's gotten only better yeah. at it. And See, the thing the thing is is that when you look at markets and stuff like that, the problem we're going to get into the problem with capitalism with with Matt. But the the, the problem with capitalism sometimes is that companies <laughs> always are always looking for huge markets. But the problem is is that Linux is a huge market. Like even if you just look at the the the, the desktop usage, like you. C- Millions of people use the Linux desktop. Millions of people around the, around the world use the Linux desktop. Is it the billion people that use Windows? No. Like compared to Windows, it's a minuscule amount. But it's only when you make that comparison where that you think like. It, it, and I understand that companies like Microsoft, companies like Apple, want to always invest in markets where billions of people are going to be using their products. But just because it's a it's millions of people doesn't make it any. It's still a, a good size a number of people, right? So we're never going to get to the point where there's a billion people using Linux. I mean, 
not regular well, Linux. Well, we like easily the, could. We easily could. The problem with that is is the for us to get to the point where we have that many users, essentially we have to become a mar- when you say market, the problem is is in the open source FOSS community, we describe markets as users. And to a corporate entity, users means shit. Users doesn't mean anything. Facebook might tout their users publicly, but inside of their boardrooms, users don't matter. How much are we selling? How much money? How many advertisements yeah, are and we getting? The one thing we know exactly. about the, the the Linux community and the Linux users and FOSS community in general is that they don't spend money. <laughs> like they don't. Exactly. They don't. Or they're spend extremely. Money. Yeah, they're at the at the very best. They're lenient with the amount of money yeah. they spend. They might give over some, especially if you're doing a really good job, which is something that a corporate entity doesn't want. Like, that's too much of yeah. a risk. Like, as, as a corporate entity, you want, you kind of want people to essentially buy, and then if they don't like it, you know, uh, it's okay. Like, you know, take their losses and move on. And that is not the FOSS community. Like if you don't, if you're asking money for something and what you provide is not excellent quality, no one's purchasing it after the first five people. Like it's dead. the, The problem with my argument is not that there's not millions of people using Linux, which there are. It's that those millions of people aren't interested in for the most part, generally spending a ton of money on what would essentially be proprietary software. You know, it, most people, most people who use mm-hmm. Linux on the desktop to varying degrees are more interested in FOSS software and no company on the planet is going to ever at least go from making billions of dollars in, you know, in, in a certain way to entering a market where they have no capability of earning hardly any money. Like, uh, they're not going to enter into a market where the norm is to give away whatever they create for free. And yeah. when you like, we were, and, we were just talking about it with Ubuntu. Like anytime anybody mentions paying for Ubuntu, people freak out. It, it would be the same thing with literally anything else. They would have the uh, the the companies have one expectation of making a product and then. Ch- charging people for it whether it's through a software as a service or you know buying a 70 dollar video game you know what i mean uh with the foss community on the other side they have an expect expectation that the most of the stuff that's free and open source is going to be free of charge um and that's i mean every every time we talk about money on the podcast the views just go tank because people don't want to talk about this like like it's an old thing that we've beat up many many times it's a dead horse at this point uh, but it's it's blatantly the truth, right? It's that you know, in order for companies that make proprietary software to come to Linux, there not only has to be people, which we have, we have people, we have it, 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 we have enough people that would probably make some companies at least, maybe not the big ones, but at least some of them at least be interested in bringing their software here. The problem is that we have nobody who's actually willing to pay for that software because either it's proprietary or because they're stingy, right? Uh, so 
No. That's where I bring back to my original argument is that in order for there to be more success, I'm not talking about fully mainstream success, in order for more and more people to actually be interested in using the Linux desktop, there has to be feature parity within side of the FOSS apps that are already here, because those FOSS apps have no expectation of ever being profitable, right? GIMP doesn't really care. Uh, they're not in it for the money. They're not in it for, I mean, they would like to make enough money to pay their developers, and that's about it. And you can do that from donations and, you know, corporate sponsors and stuff like that. Same thing with, like, Audacity, which is not no longer a good you know a good example because they're owned by a corporation now but uh things like firefox even right allowing th allowing yeah. these applications to bring up the features to the point where we can honestly say that firefox or audacity or whatever you know element even you know element is you know Feature complete. It's not maybe not feature complete, but feature parity to whatever they're competing against. If we can get to that point, then we can see s some measure of success. However, you measure success, more people using Linux. Well, I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like Linux, I don't think needs more people using it. I I, gen I genuinely don't. Because that's one of the problems with Linux is there's so many people coming over to use Linux, mainly because it's getting to a point where it rivals what they used to use in what like with the software that it'll run, and Linux like to bring it back to the title like does Linux need app parity? Yes, it does. If you want it to compete against the other OSs for some reason, whatever that reason is. But honestly, no, it doesn't need app parity. The, that's kind of the last thing that it needs. Linux is one of those things where it's a it's not for everybody because uh, it doesn't run every piece of software and it doesn't have the money behind it, nor do the people that run Linux want it to have the money behind it like Windows or Mac does. Because let's be honest, when you have that much money behind something, people get pretty crooked. People will do some pretty messed up and really nasty and dis disingenuine or distasteful stuff just to make more money. And sadly, I don't think any of that interests anybody in this community, which I, I actually don't know why I said sadly, that's not really a bad thing, but when you want it to compete, you're not ever going to do that because you don't bring in any of the interest. Like you don't, your goals are not aligned with what you think you want. Like you don't, you don't really want the corporate interest. You don't really want all of the people who make the software that you think it like to me, the craziest idea is we need to get the same software so that more people will come over and use what we use. But the people who make the software that we would like to have over here so that we can draw in more people is made 
made by people that we hate. Like nobody here in this community thinks Adobe is a great company. No one here thinks Microsoft, you know, is the most genuine giving entity out there. They're practically, you know, a good giving God. Like, right, no, but, come on. No I one mean, believes We've already said, that. though, that we don't think that that's – that Adobe or Microsoft are ever going to bring things to Linux. That's why we said – or at least why I said that having feature parity in, in the open source apps that exist is the more apt way to go. But – well. But that also to to be able to get that type of feature parity, we need to be able to pay the develop the the high end, very intelligent devs. We have to be able to pay them for that time because I mean the it's not that we don't have very talented devs here on Linux like that would be an erroneous statement. We obviously do, but we're getting their spare time. We're we're getting their downtime. So for us to be able to compete and have that type of feature parity, we have to be able to pay them, which in of itself is a, it's a, I mean, it's a paradox. You'll never be able to get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've made strives towards it, obviously, but I mean, you're right. That is not ever going to happen fast. Um, I'll, well, it, it well, the, see, the problem is, is it won't ever happen because while while the proprietary companies however much we disagree or don't like them they can they if they are able to pay the talented devs that we get spare time from pay them for a majority of their time to develop their software the it will never get to a point where we will catch up or have feature parity with them. It will never happen because during the day, the same devs that are trying to get whatever they're working on during the day, working on here, it, like it, in their spare time, it just it can't happen. It never will. Yeah. See, I, dis- and, I disagree. Like, I disagree kinda... with you because I'm not saying like it's going to happen for every single application that we have. It's not going to happen for you know GIMP, Krita. Firefox, everything, but we've seen that it can happen with some things. Like, there's a reason why OBS, which is open source, has taken over the world in terms of streaming. That is now the thing, and it's open source, right? So it has happened. I mean, maybe you, you would just consider that the exception to the rule, but there's other options, other things out there. Like, Blender is another example of things, something well, no. that is... Yeah, but you're talking about FOSS software. Like it's all that's already FOSS. Yeah, I know. So we don't we we don't need the feature. Right, I know. But the the reason why it's successful is because it had competitors that it then beat out because it was better. You know, and it started out as FOSS, right? Yes. So yeah, the 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 point is is that you writing off every other piece of FOSS software, saying that it can never be as good as. Photoshop is just, I mean, it's defeatist, right? And I'm not saying that it's... Well, no, it's not, it's not defeatist. Like, cause here, like your example of OBS is a good example, but here's the problem. Name the competitor that OBS was against. Precisely. Do you, did you ever try to use XSplit? I'm just saying that it it does have, it did have competitors. There's also uh, that thing from Blackmagic that a lot of people uh, still use. Um, I'm not sure what it's called yeah. anymore, but but that also that costs a ton. Well, I'm of sure. Money. I'm as if the the applications from Fire or from Adobe don't also cost a lot of money. Just because the competitors are expensive doesn't really uh, make people not use them. You know. 
Well, but no, but see, the thing is, is XSplit hasn't done... Well, it's, as far as I know, XSplit is still active. Like, a, as far as I know. I don't know anyone who uses them. But they're still active. But the reason they can't compete is because they're not innovating. Like, at, at all. Like, at all. The com- Like, the, the programs that you want feature parity with... Like GIMP and Photoshop is a great example because GIMP is fantastic. Like it, I, I would not pay for Photoshop because there's a lot of stuff that Photoshop does that I don't need and it's way overboard for me. But that being said, GIMP and Photoshop will never be feature parity because Photoshop is the innovator. Uh, same, same thing with uh, Adobe uh, Premiere and uh, Final Cut or DaVinci Resolve. All three of those are innovators in their own right. DaVinci Resolve, even though DaVinci Resolve, Premiere, Final Cut are all video editors, DaVinci Resolve innovates constantly on color grading. They are literally the best, and they constantly they're constantly innovating. Same with Final uh, Final Cut. Premiere is actually falling behind because they're only getting pretty much worse as it goes on. So the the problem is is like. You're, there will always be competitors in the open source uh, versus commercial market that the commercial ones will, as long as they continue innovating and paying these developers the proper amount. Like a good example is Adobe. We all know that like it's not really hard to find their positions and stuff that they've hired for in the past. They're not, you know taking in the the bad right. developers they they definitely are paying good money and have good stuff xsplit i don't know that xsplit even i don't even know if they ever hired for developers have no idea so i mean that's really the thing like the innovators in the space it's going to be pretty much impossible to ever compete with them cuz they're able to pay for the top notch developers well, i understand that asking GIMP to be as good as Photoshop tomorrow is unrealistic and that it may never catch up, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that shouldn't be strived for. And you know, it doesn't even necessarily mean that they had to be 100% always on equal ground. Like the minute Photoshop brings out a feature, GIMP has to have it, right? That's just not really what I'm saying. What I'm more saying is that... By saying, well, it's never going to happen, so we shouldn't do it, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, of course we... Well, no, no. If if we had the attitude of, of, like, we can't win, therefore we shouldn't play, you know... The Detroit Lions would never play football. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just saying, if that was the attitude we had, we wouldn't have like half the NFL because half of the NFL couldn't play. It's the same thing here. Is is that we shouldn't? That shouldn't be the 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 mentality that we should take. And I also don't think that it it, it doesn't. Well, so essentially, what you're saying is, is not that we should have app parity, but we should have good FOSS applications like that. Because with when you're saying feature parity, you mean we're going to have everything that the commercial offerings have. And yeah. Blender is a good example of it. Blender is not an industry standard, even though plenty of people would have you believe it is. It is not an industry standard. It does do 
pretty much like you can do insane things with blender you it is in mind blowing what you can do with blender and there are plenty of jobs out there that you can get that utilize blender that being said blender does not compete in the commercial market very well and even though it doesn't compete in the mar- commercial market very well that doesn't mean that a ton of people don't use it and it's massively been there is plenty of stuff in game development that I've that I've done over the course of my life that I just would have never even had the opportunity to learn about because I couldn't spend $5000 on Maya or you know whatever other alternatives there are so like to, to me, I think what you're saying is we just need really, really high quality well, that, applications, which I would the mentality. Agree. I think we need the mentality of that we should strive for some sort of feature parity. Maybe not one-to-one, but uh, not being afraid to, when Photoshop does something good, bring it into Git. You know, I, I think that they do do that. And I think that it's all about motivation. If they have that motivation to... Uh, you know, do this, and th- then it will always continually get better. And yes, you're never going... One of the reasons why OBS is actually not a very good uh, example of this is because it, it became the mainstream so fast, it never really... Like, people who use OBS, they don't give a crap that it's open source. You know what I mean? And yeah. the, the FOSS aspect of it doesn't really matter to the vast majority of people who use it. They don't use it because it's open source. They use it because it's the thing to use. You know, it's it, it's not only is yeah. it fr- it's free, like as in you don't have to pay for it, but also it's really, really freaking good. Uh, and, and unless it screws me over, which uh-huh. it does about half the time, right? <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I think that one of the reasons why it was so successful is because you're right. You're right in, in that the competitors weren't all that big to begin with. Uh, and the the problem we have with things like GIMP and Audacity and things like that is that the the companies and software that they're competing against are so entrenched into the workflow of so many millions of people, it would be hard, impossible to get a toehold into it, even if they managed to reach feature parity. And I don't... No. That's why I don't think that that should be the goal. I think instead it should be... Well, okay. I think at parity, or feature parity, should be the goal, but with kind of in a realistic way and in, in that it's more of a, of a motivating factor. You know what I mean? It's it, try to chip away to the point where, you know, you have some success. It doesn't have to be all the success. That's one of the problems with like everything is that in, when, when you reach some success, you always have to reach for the next level on the next level. The, 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 you know, you always have to keep getting bigger and that's, you know, so I think that that's one of the, pro- one of the areas where maybe, things like gimp could be okay is that you know they could be happy with you know a couple million users you know they don't have to continue to you know as long as they can pay their bills they don't have a capital capitalistic uh, idea of we have to make billions of dollars they just have to be good you know let's pay let's make sure we can pay those good developers and then move on you know we don't have to have it's it's a non-profit organization you know and just move on that way all right, I think yeah. we've kind of beat the crap out of that topic. Um, it's interesting that we disagreed there for a while. We don't we don't disagree very often, uh, but anyways. So mm-hmm. this it is the time of the week, Tyler, where we explore no. things 
And because we're too lazy or uh, not creative enough, we've decided to name this section the thingy of the week. So, Tyler, what is your thingy of the week? Uh, my thingy of the week is a fantastic... I mean, this is genuinely one of the, uh, the the most chef's kiss beautiful patches I have ever found. It is amazing. Uh, if you like running DWM and you're like me and you also like running PyCom with rounded corners because, you know, you, why not? You're just balling like uh, that. There's man. a DWM... <laughs> Exactly. You know, you're, 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 you just want you're that the kind of nice guy who would put spinners touch. on a 1995 Chevrolet Beretta, aren't you? You're just that kind of guy. I, I will not dignify that with a response because you already know the answer. <laughs> <clears throat> DWM uh, has a, or I found this. I believe it's uh, just a completely custom, like some dude on the internet hand wrote uh, this nice little patch uh that you can't really I, I as far as i know it's not really put anywhere like officially but uh in the show notes i did leave a link to the uh specific github patch like if you click on this you'll just download the patch um or load it up in your web browser and you can take a look over it but this patch here adds rounded corners just like in pycom but to dwm itself and um that means you'll get rounded corners without PyCom. You don't have to use PyCom to get rounded corners or a specific compositor, which is awesome. And then if you're using a compositor like PyCom and using the rounded corners, I can't remember what issue I was having, but there was some weird issue with rounded corners. I think what it was was like when uh, like I had transparency or some Gaussian blur or so, something like that applied in the um, PyCom config, I would get the little squares. Even though the corners were rounded, I would get the complete frame of the window with like the color of the background or, or whatever like that behind it. And I, it was noticeable. I could see it uh, with this patch. It got rid of that, which is awesome. Oh, that's too bad I don't use DWM anymore. I could try this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all right. You'll come back to the to the okay, best so window manager. The thing is, time. is when I was doing Gen two, I installed and patched up DWM in order to use it because my i three system was broken. Um, because that my config mm-hmm. is meant for i three gaps, not regular i three. And the the thing is, is that was like there's some things about DWM that I really do miss. Like the the look of DWM is really cool. I really like it. I like the way that it's configured. Uh, but it does not handle workspaces very well on multiple monitors and i can't get past it man i like i'm immediately missed the ability to use a dedicated key binding to go to a workspace on this monitor like in order to switch to a workspace on this monitor when you're on focused on monitor one it's a two process you know a two key binding process and it's it it just Mm-hmm. Not for me. Not anymore. I, 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 like I'm. There's, there's like there's things about DWM that I miss, but man, i3 is good. So good. <laughs> anyway, so my uh, app of the week is not actually an application. Well, I mean, it has an application. Itchy nose again. Um, my uh is Molvad VPN. Now, I know what you're saying. A, a YouTuber talking about a VPN. I'm gonna stop listening now. 
uh, and but this is not a sponsored advertisement. N- nobody sponsors me. The 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 point is, is, I was looking for a VPN, and I put a call out in Discord and on Twitter asking for uh, options because I was gonna go with PIA because PIA offers three years of service for like eighty bucks, and that's like. Holy crap, that's really cheap, right? <laughs> like, but the problem is, is when I see when you uh-huh. see a price that cheap, you wonder, eh, am I gonna get what I pay for? You know, <laughs> is, is this is this telling you it's a VPN, but it's not actually a VPN? <laughs> you know, so I was worried about. It. That's the reason why I asked for a suggestion, and, and uh, a couple people recommended Malvad, so I gave Malvad a thing. Now it's not as cheap. It's five dollars a month or five dollars and fifty cents a month. I just bought a year, um, and. It was really simple to set up. It uses WireGuard or, or OpenVPN. You have the option, and it just works well. You know, even even in a, one of the things that I always had a problem with with like when I used PIA in in the past, all their instructions are for Ubuntu, right? Uh, and you can yep. get it to work. You can work and on they're, and they're hard coded. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can, you can get it to work on like Arch or whatever, but it doesn't. It's not. You can tell that it was meant for Ubuntu. Uh, this I didn't have any problems with this at all. Um, I just downloaded the app from the AUR, launched it, put in my account number, and it loads. It's there. Uh, I w- nice. I've been using like a a, a, a a server from Britain, and speed was really good. Like basically the same speed that I always get. Uh, the, the, obviously the latency was a lot worse, but that's gonna happen. So that's just the way it works. Uh, so uh, I'm. So far, I'm very happy with it. Uh, hopefully, I don't get screwed over in like six months from now and not like it anymore because I did pay for a whole year. Uh, but it's just <laughs> – it, it was easier to pay for a year simply because like my credit card does not allow by default international charges. Like I have that turned off so that I don't – you know, for security reasons. So I had to turn that off in order to get this to go through. And I was like, I don't want to have to do this every month. So I just bought a year and then I can turn the deny international charges off again. Uh, so I don't have to worry about that. So, anyways, that is um, that is the thingy of the week. Now, coming up next week, I don't actually know what we're going to be talking about. Tyler, do you have uh, you have one in here about schools becoming more FOSS oriented? So we're going to be talking about schools and FOSS software. Uh, another one of those topics that probably is not going to be for everybody, but it should be very interesting. So that is it for us coming up this week. Before I go, I'd like to take a moment to thank my current patrons. Robert, Sid, Devon, Patrick, Fred, Kramer, Meglin, Jackson, Tool, Steve, Aceberger, Linux, Garrick, Samuel, Mitchell, Art Center, J Dog, Carbon Data, Jamie, Sean, Odin, Martin, E, Andy, Ross, Merrick, Camp, Josh, Lee, Peter, A, Crucible, Dark, Bennett, Six, Primus, and PM. If you'd like to support the channel on Patreon, you can do so at patreoncom Linuxcast. I really, truly do appreciate everyone who supports me on Patreon and on YouTube, and uh, w- whether even if it's not monetarily, if you just subscribe, I really, truly do appreciate everybody who's done that. If you want to subscribe to Zany's channel. Uh, youtube.com slash zanyog he does have a patreon uh, you'll have to find that link wherever uh, he has that because i don't have it memorized i'm a, i'm sorry for that I'm a, don't I'm a, don't don't forget don't forget to pimp out the store all oh, right there's links to the store and stuff in the video description so there's there is a store there we should tyler we should really look into putting some more stuff up there shouldn't we yeah yeah we should, we should definitely do that uh, anyways, that that is uh, it for the Linux Cast. We'll be back next week. We record this live every Thursday at around three o'clock p.m. Eastern time. So if you'd like to watch live, 
uh, and be in the chat, you can do so. We don't um, pay atten much attention to the chat, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Uh, hello, chat. Um, so, uh, if we got distracted by the chat, the, the recording would be six hours long. We just sit here and chat. Maybe, maybe that's something we do someday, but uh, as it is right now. So, anyways, uh, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. Boy.